channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage. Supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ed Klest, and on today's show, we're going to be sharing with you the audio from the last Verisage event that Ron and I participated in in Boston, Massachusetts. There are four participants in the main conversation, and then we do have audience members who will introduce themselves. Both myself and Ron participated, as well as John Chisholm and Kirk Bowman, who you will notice is the host of this presentation. He's also the host of his own show, The Art of Value, which we hope you will give a listen to as well. So without further ado, I present to you live from the Various Age Symposium in Boston. What we're going to do today is we're going to tackle a topic called the future of value pricing. And this is going to be a unique show, because not only do we have the four panelists, but we've also got the audience, and they're going to participate as well. In fact, you might wind up hearing the audio from this show on not only The Art of Value, but also on Pricing Power by Steve Major, and also The Soul of Enterprise, which is Ron and Ed's show. So to start us out, I'm going to lob it over the net, and we'll start with Ron. What do you think is the future of value pricing? Incredibly bright. Uh, incredibly optimistic, folks. Pricing is a profession. It's a profession. They're certified professional pricers. You can get a PhD in yield management. You can get a PhD now in revenue management. You can get an MBA at, at two universities I know of. One is Rochester uh, in pricing. This has moved up into the C-suite. I'm talking here globally. I'm talking uh, from a perspective of, of uh, the professional pricing society, so not just professional firms. This is more macro, more global than just PKFs. Um, it, this, is, this is a C-suite function. They're not cost accountants. They're not marketers. They're not finance people. They are full-time pricers, and they are fanatical. You're going to meet one uh, a little bit later in my ending talk. Uh, so I think the other thing that I noticed being at PPS conferences, I, I was in Dallas with Ed uh, this year, and I was also in Sao Paulo, Brazil, with Professional Pricing Society. It's going global. The USA, sorry, folks. This is going to sound jingoistic. The USA leads this movement. There's no doubt about it. We have the brain power. We have the software. Um, and the, the thing that really gets me about going to the PPS conferences is many more women are in this profession than there used to be when I started. So, and, 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 and the growth of it. Um, every year, they, in the exhibitor hall, they have a bookstore. You know, Barnes & Noble comes in and sells books. First year I did PPS, which I think was with Justin and, and Dan, 2001, two, something like that. Uh, you know, there might have been five books on pricing. Now there's dozens. There's more and more literature on this. There's more and more academic thought on it. There's more practical thought on it. I mean, it's just I, I, this. It, it's it's a great time to be in pricing. And that said, I'll just give you one caveat with it. One of the issues I'm, I'm starting to see is because it's becoming so specialized, it's becoming too narrow of a focus. And I think we need to kind of go back to some type of systems thinking. You know, you could, you can become a doctor and an oncologist and get so focused on maybe a specific disease that you miss the health of the patient overall. And I think that, that, that is an issue that's going to have to be grappled with. But I'm incredibly optimistic about the future of value pricing. Now, at the professional firm level, there's no doubt in my mind that 
the billable hour is not dead. It's, um, it's not within grasp of being dead, but it's, I'm sorry, it's not within, um, it's not within reach of being dead, but it's within sight of being dead. It's kind of like Oscar Wilde said, you know, uh, hourly billing has no enemies, but it's intensely disliked by its friends. Um, you, you can't find anybody to defend it. Uh, very few people write articles anymore, blog posts, defending the billable hour. It's, it's totally on the defensive. It really is. And I think we're one of the reasons it is. And you guys are part of the reason it's, it's on the defensive. So I'm, I'm incredibly bright. I think it's very optimistic future for pricing. Over to you, Ed. Well, I just want to, one, give a shout out to Professional Pricing Society as well. And if any of you in this room or listening to this podcast have the opportunity, I cannot strongly recommend enough that you go to attend a Professional Pricing Society conference. It is absolutely well worth it. The website is, is it professionalpricing.org? Or? I think it's pricingsociety.com. So please find out when their conferences are and attend. It would be great to have a contingent of Verisage folks at some future conference together. I think that would be a really interesting thing to do. And and you can go into the exhibitor hall because two of the big four are always there because they have pricing arms and you can harass them and ask them, Hey, do you guys still do timesheets? And, and they do. And, and I would not take pricing uh, consulting advice from people who fill out timesheets. <laughs> and, and that's what I want to say is at the same time, Ron, one of the, the things having been to a, a couple of conferences now that my fear is, is that there's a, a lot of people there who are number heads. That right, so they're they're trying to make this into some kind of a science, and we've had conversations with people on our show previously, and I've asked the question of every single pricer that I've encountered: Is it art or science? And they always give me a mealy mouth half answer of, "Well, it's kind of a little bit of both. We really need the the science piece of it." I'm like, "Bull crap! It's art. Let's just accept it as art." And we have to really, I think, embrace that. That's my mantra with everybody that we talk to, that it's, it's got to be art. Because I think it's in danger of being taken over by these number crunchers, the quants, the quants that yeah. make it. And, and they're, they're trying to rip it of, it, the, of the greatness that it, that it has. Well, Ed, not, Ed, we've done workshops, uh, and it was what I did in, in Brazil, but we've done full-day workshops or even two-day workshops in Vegas when we did it on basically uh, – uh, Austrian economic theory. The, the Austrians were the first behavioral economists, really, if you think about it. Uh, and that is not something that is well understood by some of these people. But we're getting the message out. John? Kirk, you're asking a recovering lawyer to predict anything that's going to happen in the future. <laughs> we can't do that. We don't know what's going to happen. So um, that's, because, that's why we've got ourselves in the problem we're in. Uh, look, Ron talks about uh, pricing being a core, core competency. I mean, I think, and I talk about the legal profession, it has to be a core competency. It should be something that's, that's taught early on in, in, in the years, perhaps even at law school, uh, along with service and, and those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, and traditionally, I never had to, and most lawyers don't have to price anything. We didn't have to because we always had hourly rates and we, you know, fees or, you know, costs. We even had um, 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 costs uh, scales in, in Australia. So we didn't really have to price anything. If you can't price anything, you really can't price your value. You really don't understand your value. So it's just we have a long, long way to go in the legal profession. I think uh, just about every law firm, you look on their websites and they're doing fixed fees and and there is, you know, it's, it's not hard to go and go to a law firm and get fixed, you know, a fixed price out there, if you like. But what, how is that fixed price, you know, made up? It's really, as Ron Baker would say, it's billable hours in drag. So they really haven't, you know, gone to the next step. You know, some have. There's some great law firms in, in this room and there's some great law firms I'm fortunate enough to, to work with and, and know of that have really taken value pricing to the level that we at Verisage understand, but it's still very much the exception rather than the rule because even the fixed prices are still based on this, you know, we sell time that, you know, I'm leveraging people by time, by hourly rate, and until that business model changes, um, Ron says, and and Ron's so right, that the uh, uh, vendor should, uh, you know, change if they're going to change, it's our pricing model, it's our business model. 
Um, but if they're not, then I think we're just going to wait for customers to do it to do it for us. Or there's going to be external disruptors out there in the marketplace, which there is increasingly, that not only have different service models, different business models, but they have different pricing models, and not one of those pricing models has anything to do with time. Kirk, you know, you interviewed David Wells from Australia recently, and John, I know you work with Moore's, um, and they're one of the largest firms, by the way, largest law firms that have gone full bore, haven't they, John? They have like 100 employees or something, roughly. Um, and so, you know, it, it, we know this, this works and it's scalable, but one of the points that David made in your interview, Kirk, which I thought was brilliant was this isn't just about changing the pricing. This changes everything about your business. It changes the way you communicate, comprehend, create, capture value. And it is a business model change, but there's one other lesson I'd like to add to that. It's not just a business model change. It's actually a management innovation. And, you know, management hasn't innovated itself. We're still running with 100-year-old ideas for management. You can read Gary Hamill. He's got a great book on this called The Future of Management. And his argument or his premise is that management has stopped innovating. We're still doing stuff that Frederick Taylor did back in the 1880s, and, and this has just become like the combustion engine. There's been no innovation in it. And what we're talking about, whether you talk about row, after-action reviews, uh, project management for knowledge workers like Ed talks about, pricing, all of these things, CVO, value council, these are management innovations. They're not just, they're internal management innovations. It's a total fundamental way to run a practice different. And I tell you, I just got back from a conference this morning and I felt like I was on a different planet. These people talked about staff, realization, utilization, all of, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I want to go back to my safe cozy environment with 33 geniuses because these people are stuck in the 1880s you know it's interesting ron you talked about pricing as a whole right as an industry as it has its own conference it has its own profits if you will you know degrees and so forth john you spoke to it in the legal field i'm going to speak to it in it and then Ed, i may want to come back to you and ask you to speak to it in accounting in it there's kind of two camps there's kind of one group who I think is ready for something different. They, they don't even know that it's the billable hour that's the problem, but they just intrinsically know something is wrong or, or something doesn't feel right. Business shouldn't be this hard might be a way to say it. But yet you throw a new idea out there and they hear about it and they're open to it. They don't resist it. They do, it there's not this pushback versus kind of an older guard. And I don't want to paint it as an age issue, but I think in some cases, you know, it's a generational issue maybe. Where, you know, for example, I can think of IT firms that um, are in just what they call managed care, where basically they just put a price on every uh, PC on the desktop, how they take care of it and so forth. There's more resistance there because, again, it's just kind of, it's another number to crunch. And so I see both things. The thing that I'm encouraged about is the people that interact with me through my show are the people who are actually interested in adopting this. And, and I'm starting to get emails on almost a daily basis from somebody who goes, hey, I heard this guest or I heard this concept. And so there is change out there, but I'm seeing it's really kind of two diverse audiences, one who's receptive and one who's not. I'm just fortunate that I'm mostly talking to the ones that are receptive. So that, that's what I'm seeing in IT. And that concludes our first segment from the Live from Verisage Boston event. We'd like to remind you that you can read show notes for The Soul of Enterprise at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Please follow us on Twitter at hashtag AskTSOE or connect with us directly on Twitter at at sign AskTSOE. But now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. 
Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise. We, again, are playing highlights from a live event that Ron and I attended in Boston a couple of weeks ago, live from the Verisage Symposium. In this upcoming segment, you'll hear questions from our audience participants. We hope you enjoy it. I think we can, we can someday see the death of project management as we understand it today. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because as much as I, you know, Ron, you said to me one time, you've at, you adding the project management stuff has been the missing piece to this. Do you remember that, that conversation? And, and, I, and I enjoy the discipline of project management. I think there's some really good stuff. But it has also been captured by the quants and the cost accountants. And, you know, take a, take a course in project management, you know, a raw course, five-day course, you'll hear about earned value, which is this convoluted nine-step process to get to. What is the actual value that we've earned? Well, you know, guess who came up with this? Some government guy in the general accounting office. So they're, they're, trying to, they're actually trying to compute value inside. inside. Not realizing it's a customer's check that doesn't bounce. That's value, and that's and that, and that's where that that's where that where where project management going. But I I think that there's something that can even re- replace that, and that is something we've talked about long ago. Is a thing called the prediction market, right? I think that that that's something whose whose time is still coming. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, prediction market is an idea that what you do is people invest in say X project finishes on the 31st of December. Yes or no. And you actually have to bet money, in a sense, or some kind of currency that says whether you think that is or is not going to happen. And if it does happen, the bet pays out. If it doesn't happen, the bet doesn't pay. And what I think a lot of organizations have found is that that is a much better predictor of will the project finished on time when people have to do something like that than any kind of measurement of hours or doneness or tasks that we we completed or anything like that. Just do do, do the people who are actually working on the project or have any relationship to the project at all think that it's going to complete on time, yes or no? You know, when you and I did the interview, you said, if you get so good at the value conversation, you don't need project management. And we even challenged project managers to become masters of a value conversation. I'm just frustrated with how complicated people make project management. I mean, I don't see, to be honest, I don't see why you need complicated project management software. And I'm a software guy. And we use Basecamp to manage all of our projects. It doesn't matter what kind it is. And so I agree with you. It's pretty Boolean. Is it done or not? Right? That's where we really got to go. How long has the legal profession been around? How long has the accounting profession been around without project management? <clears throat> how, how, how'd we last all these centuries without project management? Now we have to have this, all this technology and all this, you know, apps and all this stuff. It's like, you know, did you do good work? Did you strengthen the relationship? And did you get the work out on, you know, at a reasonable time that the customer's happy with? Uh, a lot of project management could use a good shave from Occam's razor. Yeah. Look, I, I think whatever. You know, it's trendy to call it project management and all that. And, and surely, I think it's a blight on the profession, certainly is on the legal profession, that we, you know, we don't do that sort of manage our, our clients, manage our cases, manage our people ef- effectively enough. Uh, yeah, do I still think that there's a long way to go in that? I do. Do I think that a lot of the 
and for any of you project managers out there listening, do I think they've overcomplicated it? Yeah. I don't think it's their business model to overcomplicate it, so I've got something to, to sell, quite <laughs> frankly. So what I'd like to do at this point is I'd like to open it up to those who are with us. Uh, we, we're in a room of about 30 people and a lot of brilliant minds. My head's already grown like four times the size today just because of the ideas that I've heard. And so I want to invite those who would like to share something on this topic, and I'll just kind of frame it this way. What are you seeing in value pricing from your perspective and... What do you think the future is? I'd love to hear your ideas. And so when you come up, if you would, tell us your name, your name of your company, what you do, and then share your brilliant wisdom with us. I'm Tom Bowden. I'm a solo practitioner-in-law. I'd like to follow up on the point of the art versus the science of pricing. And it struck me, uh, there was a great movie out just uh, this past year or two about, uh, it's called Tim's Vermeer. And it demonstrated how Vermeer probably used all these wonderful scientific techniques of optics to create his masterpieces, and yet they are art. Now, they've been duplicated using those same techniques. So to say that pricing is an art, no, it's a science, no, it's an art, no, it's a science, seems to me misses the point. It can be an art that's informed by science by having techniques that assist you, but they don't, they don't make it art. They, you start with the parameterization of whatever you want to do, and then the design comes in and you get the finished work, and that is art, but it can be informed and helped by science. Do you have any reaction to that? Yeah, what, I, what I've seen, though, is, and, and this is, again, the whole idea with project management become, becoming quantized with people trying to count it, and same thing with, with pricing. I guess my, my, my real concern is that once we start to input numbers into the thing, right, all of a sudden people think that because it has numbers, it must be scientific, and the fa- precise. It's, yeah, and precise, and it, it's called the fallacy of logical positivism. That's the, the the philosophical argument behind it. Logical positivism says because there's a number, it must be science, right? And it's not. You know, and I think you know Ron's great line is you know there's a big difference between the Mona Lisa and somebody who tries to do paint by number Mona Lisa. But isn't it also true that you can be uh, vaguely right versus precisely wrong? I mean, in other words, if you uh, if you don't use some quantifiable information, then you could just be out in left field. Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, look, I, 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 to say it's, a, it's, it's art, not science, is a little bit simplistic and, and maybe hyper, hyperbole or whatever. Um, because if you're running a, this hotel, Interco- uh, well, this is Hilton, but I was in the Intercontinental, one of the best hotel pricers in the world with Marriott, uh, you, you couldn't have you know tens and tens of thousands of rooms and do that on pieces of paper. I mean, you need the computer software, you need the revenue management. Same with airlines. They're making 13 million uh, price changes per day in the United States airline industry, all of them. 13 million changes per day. You definitely need some numbers behind that, but it never replaces the judgment of the pricer. You know, if the, if, if the computer doesn't know that the uh, the Mets are playing, who the heck are they playing? Chicago, Chicago. And, and and now and flights to wherever they're playing are are going to go through the roof, right? That a human has to come in and make that kind of judgment. So I think that's why we say it's more of an art. There still needs to be some human judgment, but I, I don't discount the need for the math. The, there is there is some fundamental math in pricing that you need to know, no doubt about it. And, and I'll agree. I'm 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 saying it because I because I want to save it from the quants. And, and what, what I've just seen is over time, in regardless of industry, regardless of, of, of what you're doing, they tend to take over. So, yes, I am using, hi- I am using hyperbole. That's a good resolution. Thank you. Uh, I'm Wes Higby. I'm an independent consultant. Uh, I want to comment on the future of value pricing, maybe perhaps a little bit about the future of business. I think, well, we're, we're way beyond a subsistence economy and the further we move into a knowledge economy and, well, perhaps even beyond that, the level of competitiveness of business is not just to deliver profits anymore, but is to imbue purpose, not just the organization's purpose. But I think we're going to see more organizations that want to give employees purpose in the work they do. And employees are going to increasingly look for purpose in the work they do beyond their paycheck. In fact, you could see... Uh, perhaps in the future, even now, I know people that will leave a high-paying job for a job that pays almost as much, but pays this entire other paycheck in terms of the purpose of that job. Um, something simple like uh, 
Petco and PetSmart. A lot of times they're involved in charity work for adoption of pets. It's not about turning a profit. It's about people and relationships with pets. And so as as businesses move into this domain of providing something beyond just money, because we have what we need, and a lot of us have a lot more than we need, um, people will look for other things in the paycheck. And businesses that uh, businesses that fail to turn to something greater than just money will no longer be able to compete with the purpose that other businesses can give to their employees. And so there will be a natural competitiveness where uh, people will f- seek out to fulfill a purpose in the work they do beyond just a paycheck. And so I think that that alone um, necessitates looking at what it is you create, which comes back to understanding um, the interdependence of business and what you're doing to the environment around you, which necessitates understanding what if you create something or destroy something or do a little bit of both and how does it, how does it equal out um, if you want to be able to understand the purpose you might be able to give to the people that come to you. You're so right. Wiz, why else it is that that most of us or a lot of people um, do uh, work or, or or give up our, our time and our intellect for charities or for not for profits or per, um, because there is something higher than just getting a monetary re- reward from it, and I think more and more the B corps of of the world and and others there there is something higher the corporate social responsibility that uh, most of us. Most of us have, and I think you know to tap into that to align that more with our team members and with our customers is just going to be so much more important in in the future. I think I would just add, Wes. I agree. I mean, wealth it gives us the freedom to be more purpose driven, right? Now that we're way beyond subsistence and all that. But I have to say, because I'm kind of a amateur historian of business, and Ed and I do this segment on our radio show called Entrepreneur Heaven, where we profile four. They have to be dead. That's the whole point. Entrepreneurs. And we've done three or four of these shows. And I can't think of one of them, Ed, that didn't have a strong purpose. And we're going back to the 1900s, early or 1800s sometimes. So I think this idea of purpose has always been around. I really do. I mean, I can show you J&J's Credo written in 1940. I can show you what Disney said. I could show you what J.W. Marriott, Conrad Hilton. I mean, we could go down the list. And you'll, you'll always see this purpose. And, and a lot of these companies still exist because of that strong purpose. But I do think you're right. I think it's more prevalent today. And I think because we're knowledge workers, that's one of the things we look for. We're, we, we're not satisfied with just working for a company to, you know, stuff the bottom line. We, we want to make a difference in the world. Well, it's, it goes, it's longer than that, Ron, because Book of Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people perish. Right. So, I mean, it goes, goes back a lot, lot longer. And that concludes our second segment from the Verisage event live from Boston. Right now, we'd like you to hear from our sponsor, Azamba. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You 
are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back. We'd like to remind you that you can get a hold of us at hashtag AskTSOE or at sign AskTSOE directly on Twitter. But right now, we want you to enjoy our third segment from the Live from Verisage Boston event. But let me give you a, a cognitive dissonance here, a, a contrary thought, John, to your, your comment about, you know, these firms just care about profit. How many firms have we been in where we can demonstrate that pricing will dramatically increase their profit? There's nothing else they could do, not cost cutting, not efficiency gains, not rain making, that will have a bigger impact on their bottom line if they price the customer, offer options, and then they look at us and go, well, that'd be gouging our customers. I mean, it's like, no, I'd rather work hard. I'd rather be a donkey and carry a heavier load and work hard to make money. I don't want to do it the way you guys are talking about because then I'd be like Apple. Well, Ron, no, I, you, I think there's other factors at play there that, that that's, it's um, intellectual laziness and, and doing it the way they've done it is been traditionally an easy way of making the money. So to actually... You know, have a pricing conversation or a value conversation. Yeah, I may get some extra profit, but it means I've got to retool myself, you know, relearn and I'm, you know, a bit scared. You know, can you, can you guarantee me I'm actually going to make more money? And quite frankly, probably with some of them, they would be hard pressed to create additional value. Rick Payne has a great line. The market pays you what you're worth. And if you think you're worth peanuts, then you'll get paid peanuts. Uh, my name's Andrew Bellack. And um, I do socially responsible investing. So you guys are singing my tune here. I don't know where to start. I got lots of things I could say. Um, I'll just say a few. Uh, one will be about sort of the fiduciary rule of, you know, you have to maximize profit. Another will be why I'm even in this room today. And uh, my last thing will probably be a request, um, but more to talk about later. So... One of my business partners uh, co-founded Calvert Investments, and we have documents uh, from the Department of Labor approving social funds for fiduciaries for retirement plans. So if anyone wants copies of those, I have them. Uh, and also have information about the original case law right here in Boston that started that whole mess being misinterpreted, really, um, in the court system. Uh, so let's see, uh, values. I met Chris Marston and Dan Morris because of a organization, business organization called Social Venture Network. You know, leads with social values. That's why we want to get together. We want to make a difference. We want to use our skills to make a difference, right? Whatever they may be, law, accounting, investing, financial planning. So, um, so I'm happy to talk more with anybody afterwards. My request is to help me with pricing, actually, because we're, um, we're now going to offer more robust financial planning. So I have a number of ideas how to do that, but I'd love to individually bounce that off people later. But, but the short answer would be, and we'll talk about it, but offer choices. That's the really short answer. I think one of the bravest things you can do is stand up amongst your peers and say, help me with pricing. And as we all know, the only way to get better at pricing is to show other people your prices and get feedback. And you're going to get that one of two ways. You're either going to get it from the customer, which sometimes you may learn painfully, or you're going to get it from your colleagues who actually are pulling the boat, they're rowing in the same direction. And so uh, I've got a group on Facebook, and we actually had somebody stand up this last week and say, hey, I have a coaching practice, and I need help on pricing. And out of that conversation, he's not in here, but Matthew Toll stepped up and said, hey, I've got the answer, and so Matt and I are actually going to do a separate show to answer that question. So I guess what I'm saying to you, Andrew, is I want to applaud you for your courage to stand up and say, I need help with pricing. That's one of the ways that you know you never get paid a price you never quote. It just doesn't happen. At least I haven't met anybody who's pulled that off yet. Real quick funny story on this I've, is that I've had the, the privilege of now working with Ron Baker and doing a couple of engagements with him. He's terrible at pricing. He sucks at it. <laughs> and he can say the same exact thing about me. When, I, when, when I've sent him, hey, Ron, this is what I'm proposing for this gig. Ed, 
dude, what? <laughs> you're an idiot. Folks, we all suck at pricing ourselves. That's just the fact of life. It's why authors and actors have agents. Not because they like to give these people 15% of their gross. It's because the agents get them a better price. When I work in Australia with John, he's out there like a lion pricing me. I could never get the prices he commands for me, but I could sell John. I can sell Ed all day. I just can't sell myself. We all need help with pricing. We all suck at it. It's not something you'll ever master. It's a constant learning process like golf or tennis. I mean, you just, you know, it's a skill. You get better at it, but you can always use help. And more minds than just one is essential. And you are going to lose a few golf balls along the way. Hey, Chris Farman, Jacksonville, Florida, CPA. I want to go back to the firm of the future and talk about uh, the next generation of professional knowledge workers. Uh, Recruitment of them, what they look like, attracting them to our firms. Do you all have any, you know, insight on that? And uh, typically they have an internship of a a semester or summer at a, at a larger organization where they may or may not have had to probably kept their time, uh, but not as stringent as when they're uh, full time. And we have such a better opportunity for them. What does the next generation of professional knowledge workers look like to you guys? Yeah. Great question Chris uh, it's I do uh, training education of young lawyers in in legal skills um, believe it or not but it's interesting one of the first questions asked them and, and these are trainees that have only been in their firm for a few months or a few weeks or something and I asked them why you know why they did law in the first place it, it's really interesting uh, half of them say you know for a, you know for justice to help people get justice, that, that sort of thing, fantastic. But the other half are really saying, I'm in this profession to make money. And they're kids, you know, they've just come from, from university and that's why they're... And you know, I'm so surprised how quickly, even with those that have come into it for, you know, for, for a purpose, for a greater purpose, are manipulated by the system to, you know, and, and use words that they would not use in everyday language and those those sorts of things. So um, I think now there are alternatives out there, but they're not going to be alternatives. You know, if, if someone, whatever they go into, if it's if their sole purpose is just to make money, going back to that previous conversation, then I don't think I, I don't think anyone in this room can really help them. They will learn for themselves, I, I think, but there is still this, and I have confidence and hope for the future, that the, those that um, are still coming through the system that want something greater out of what they're doing can be helped by, um, you know, the type of model, the firm of the future that, that, that we're promoting here and you're all promoting. Uh, I'll just say, um, and, and Mark Coisiel probably had some, has some great uh, data on this from the AICPA about millennials and the different generations. All this stuff, Generation X, Generation Y, Millennials, Baby Boomers, this is generational astrology. I really do think it's BS. I'll just say it. I, I'm sick and tired of, of chunking people based on their age um, and, and labeling them. There, there, was a, there was a big story uh, just done by Fortune, you know, said about the Millennials. These people don't care about owning stuff. They love Uber. They like Airbnb. They don't want to own a home. They don't give a crap about cars. And then Fortune comes out and blows this apart and says, no, that's not the problem. These kids are in debt. They don't have jobs. They don't have any money. They want cars. They're just as materialistic as their forefathers. It's just that they don't have any money. And I've been around Verisage too long and and so many different innovators. It's not an age thing. Some of our most successful people are in their 60s that have been doing this. I mean, it's not an age thing. Um, I think the one difference I would say that, the, the millennials have that maybe my generation didn't have is I think they understand their knowledge workers. I didn't. I didn't understand. I thought I was a service worker. But now that we've been out there beating this drum so long, these kids know their knowledge workers and they know the value they bring isn't determined by the time they spend. They don't see any connection between inputs and outputs or results, and, you know, value and all of that. And I think that's the key. So I think if you create firm of the future, a row, all of these other things we're talking about, I think it just acts like a lightning rod. I mean, I I tell the big eight this, all or big four, sorry. I tell them all the time. I said, just answer me a question. I got all the partners in there. Answer me a question. If you went out into the marketplace for recruiting, which we're all trying to do, we all want the best talent, right? Everybody says that. 
if you went out in the marketplace and say, if you work for EY, you don't have to do a timesheet. I said, what would happen? And, and every one of them to a T, especially the HR people are standing on the table by now. They say, we'd have people lined up to work here. I say, what's that worth? What's that worth? What, I mean, what is that worth? Quantify that for me. And, 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 you know, compare that to the risk of you underpricing or not having timesheets. And I, I, I just find it amazing. So why don't they do it, Ron? Well, I don't think it's their age. I don't think it's their age so much as um, all the things you mentioned before, John. It, they're satisficing. They're doing good enough. And especially law firms. You know, it's hard to get a millionaire to change their business model. If I'm, if I'm making a product, the big four, yeah, their revenue goes up every year, but their profits are declining. But you know what? The profits are still high. And so they're, they're just not going to re-engineer the business model because that's just too much work. But I, I never discount laziness, folks. I never, ever discount because I'm, I'm a lazy SOB myself, and I will take the easiest way out of anything. And, and I think a lot of this is satisficing and just being lazy. You know, my two cents on this would be I don't know that there are probably a few exceptions, but in general, I don't know that the knowledge workers, Chris, that you're wanting to hire – are out there going, I want to work for a value pricing firm. We see those because we're in the value pricing space. But in general, I don't think they're out there in droves. But I do think that when someone comes into one of these firms and experiences it, they're not going to want to leave. Especially if you, you know, subscribe to Chris Marsden's uh, plan of, you know, tying their compensation to value. So I think, one, you have a good interview process where, you know, just like you do with customers, you're vetting them as they get in the door. We have a 12-step process ourselves, um, which is a whole nother show. But once they get in, I've not had anybody enter my organization and said, what, you guys don't track timesheets? I'm out of here. I've had every one of them say, if you ask me to track my time again, I'm leaving. And that concludes our third segment from the Verisage event in Boston, Massachusetts in October. And right now, we'd like you to listen to a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We'd like to remind you that you can get a hold of us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com, where we post up show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. Visit us on Twitter at hashtag AskTSOE or at AskTSOE to communicate with us directly. And right now, our final segment from the Verisage event in Boston, Massachusetts. Enjoy. I want to throw it back to you guys and just ask this. What's an idea you've heard so far today that is, you think, part of what the future holds? In other words, and you know, feel free to share the idea and who shared it, but what's something you've heard today that you think is going to change what we do? 
Because the whole point of getting together, right, is to share information and become better at it. So what have you learned that's going to make us better at this? Well, I think, you know, today I learned certainly not just because Ed Kless is sitting next to me and (laughs) looking at me sort of weirdly, but uh, just the questions and there were so many deep, thoughtful questions. I, I really want those slides, Ed, because... You know, I'm meant to be out there sort of helping firms. I don't ask anywhere near those sorts of questions to the, um, to the, to the depth that they do. I think, um, you know, aligning our internal compensation model with the value we're creating, we have a long, long way to go, I think, in, in professional, in professional firms. So they were certainly, you know, two of the things there. And Adrian, I've, I've read Adrian Simmons' post before, but you're right, the things that really matter, those two things, do not show up on any firm's income statements or, or balance sheets. And it's just so critical that we look, I think we're so conditioned to, um, both regulatory control and also the the system. I, I'd, I'd love a dollar for every firm I go into where I have a partner that says, you know, we'd love to change, but, you know, you don't understand our uh, measurement and reward system as though it's some inanimate object out there that's saying, you know, I say, but, but you're the managing partner, you're the senior partner, can't you? So it's just a cop-out. I mean, it really is. You put in the, 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 the you know, reward and the measurement system that, that, that you want. And so, so don't try and kid otherwise. You can change it, just like I said to this group of in-house counsel on, uh, here in Boston the other night. <laughs> don't complain about bill shock or the billable hour, or that sort of stuff, and yet you're not doing anything about it. Uh, unfortunately, you're enabling that behaviour from the vendors, the, 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 the sellers of legal services to continue because you continue to accept um, uh, bills that, you know, exceed the estimate or, you know, fixed fees which aren't fixed fees and they're just going to do it. I can tell you when even in the firms that I ran, whilst we ran on the, the billable hour model, when you had a client that was genuine dinky die, that's an Australian saying, does anyone understand <laughs> Dinky die, fixed fee, a miracle occurred internally. You know, we did find ways to sort of lower our cost to serve, that sort of stuff. So we can do it. It's, it's learnt behaviour. And, you know, and Ron, as I said to you, I'd, I'd love the professions and thank goodness most of us, you know, many of them are changing. But for those that aren't, they're just going to have to be at the beck and call of customers who will make some of them change. I'm reminded of a quote, John, that I heard. I can't remember who it was, but it said, "You know, if you don't like where you are in life, move. You're you're not a tree. <laughs> if you were a tree, it would be a different story. You're kind of planted there. You can't can't move, but do something different." Uh, I'll answer the question and say it's the only thing that I underlined in my notes pages today, and I took lots of notes. And I it, this is a, the biennial Verisage Symposium event, whatever we're, we're calling it, and it's the only conference that I come to that I actively take notes in so it's only once every two years that i so my note-taking skills have significantly deteriorated but i will say it's the only thing that i underlined on the page and that is the 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 coined word by matthew toll today flourishment i love the word flourishment i'm definitely stealing that you should you should trademark it sorry we you know we want and, and you said shortly after that we want people to live their dreams Right, and that's and and that's that's what we're about. We're not about financial statements. We're about flourishment, and and I really like that. Uh, the other th- th- thought that I'll leave and maybe toss this over to Ron, and we don't have time to go into this because this could be a whole other show. But ready for this one? One of the things that I'm discovering more and more in the conversation about the the next generation, I think, led this off is um, time is not money, but money is time. And by that, I mean what it does is it, re- it, it the money rep- represents our discretionary time, not our labor time, not our labor cost, but our discretionary time. And what it is that we can choose to use our time, and you know, my mantra is time, time is, a, is a constraint, not a resource. We all have the same constraint, right? So time is a constraint, is that we have to, that, that represents our discretionary Time, what we do with our families, what we do with our friends, and why can't we have lives where we are actively engaged in all of those things and not have to worry about it in any matter? So, 
I, you know, I missed the morning, obviously, so I didn't see everybody's talk. But I, I just, I'm really proud of the fact that only at a Barris Age get together can you have a discussion of the link between digestive problems and timesheets. <laughs> that is memorable. And to give credit where credit's due, that was Chris Farman. Absolutely. So I'll add probably the thing that resonated with me the most was Chris Marston's discussion of compensation. He talked about this idea of how your business is a value economy, and he's looking at it from an internal perspective of how do you compensate your team because we spend so much time focusing on the customer's value and pricing them well, and our teams see this, and it's natural for them to want a piece of the pie. And Chris has stepped up and said, yeah, exactly. And so here's how we're going to do it. And we don't have time to go into it. But it was really interesting to me that Chris outlined five roles. And even, you know, if, if I counted correctly, he split the sales role into three pieces, opening, closing, and accounting management, which I thought, I don't think I've ever heard anybody else articulate that. So that was probably the thing that just resonated with me the most. It gave me freedom to realize I'm an opener and I don't enjoy the account management and that's okay. So as we wrap up here, I kind of want to just go over the players on the panel again and the shows. So the intention here originally was to have kind of three of the podcasters that are in the various age space or three of the shows come together and do something collaboratively. And so we have Ron Baker and Ed Kless from the Soul of Enterprise, which is not just a podcast, but actually a radio show. They're live every Friday at... 1 p.m. Pacific. <laughs> then we have Steve Major, who unfortunately was not able to be with us due to uh, some events at the last minute, but I appreciate John Chisholm stepping in to represent Steve. I think he did it very well. Steve's show is Pricing Power. And then, of course, I'm Kirk Bowman. I have The Art of Value. I would encourage you to check out all three of these shows. And, and the best title, The Visionary of Value. I appreciate that. We borrowed something from apple you know it goes back to guy kawasaki right he was i think evangelist at least was part of his title and we decided we're creative so yeah i'm the visionary value i'm going to give a shout out to my project manager susan uh her team her title is dean of success it happens to be that her last name is dean maiden name so anyway we have fun so thank you gentlemen for being on this thanks kirk thanks ken We hope you've enjoyed this special presentation of Live from the Verisage Conference, Boston, 2015. Next week on The Soul of Enterprise, we will be replaying a show from last year, around this same time, Scroogeonomics, Why You Shouldn't Buy Christmas Presents. This has been The Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy. Sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized companies by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.